Good morning, everybody. If you have a Bible, uh, could you turn to the letter of Jude? Yeah. If you don't know where that is, I do promise you it's in the Bible. Find Revelation at the very back of your New Testament, and at the, adjacent to the beginning of Revelation, you will then find the one pager, probably, that is Jude. And I'm going to read from verse 17. I can still hear the rustle of, rustle of pages. By the way, it is interesting just to see the different responses to being welcomed into church membership. Um, you know, it, it can kind of touch a slightly nervous button. So well done, everybody, for standing and receiving the love of our warm applause. I've got to say, top marks go to shy. The double hand wave, people. I'm coming in. I'm here. Love it. <laughs> okay. So Jude, verse 17 onwards. But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire to others show mercy, mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for, your Lord Je for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, O oh God, that you are building your church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That the conclusion of world history is secure in your hands. You are good and you're doing something remarkably, wonderfully good. Thank you, Lord God, for all that you are able to do. That you are able to keep God's people from stumbling. And that you're preparing us, Lord, to present us before your own glorious presence without fault and with great joy. And Lord God, there are things that there, there's a yearning and a desire in my heart, Lord, in many of our hearts, for that great joy, for that great day when we will be with you uh, forever. And on the one hand, we pray, oh God, speed the day coming. On the other hand, Lord, we pray that many would be saved and many would be added to your kingdom 
And so for such a time as this, I pray, Lord God, you would encourage us with Jude's letter. Amen. Amen. I, don't, I wonder if you've ever been in a, in a situation where alarm bells have started to ring, like genuine, this is not a drill, this is a real alarm. If you've ever been in those kind of moments when the alarm, when the alarm bell goes off to uh, alert us to a, a real danger. I've got a, well, this is not my personal experience, but I can remember, and I might have told you this story before, about my grandparents, uh, Robert and Marion, uh, who got married in January 1945. They were courting, that's probably what they called it then, uh, they were courting all the way through the Second World War while my granddad um, was training to be a Methodist minister. Um, and, and they had to work out, what to, obviously, when the, when the air raid sirens went off, and they got around. I, I can't quite piece together their story. There were times when they were in London, they were in Reading. Uh, my grandma, um, she worked at, for a time in Coventry. And she was in Coventry when Coventry was blitzed. So when she heard the sirens going off, it wasn't, it wasn't like just a drill. It wasn't pretend. It was about real danger. She went into work the next day to discover which of her colleagues also made it in. Uh, that's the life that they lead, led in their kind of early 20s and 30s, I suppose. And they told me, I remember them telling the story, that when the air raid siren went off, they reasoned that the best thing to do was to walk. So they, they, they walked to the appropriate shelter. I guess the, the reason was, well, we, don't, we know there are bombs coming, but we don't know exactly where they're going to land. So we could be running away from a bomb, or we could be running into one where it's going to... So we're just going to... We're just going to walk. We're going to walk to the air raid, site, uh, air raid shelter. So yeah, alerting to real danger, not something to ignore, but not designed... And, an alarm is actually not designed to cause panic or a frenzy of activity. So, a little bit of fire safety. If the alarm went off right now, um, it might be an accident, but it, it wouldn't be a drill. And so, what, what, would, what do you think we should do if the fire alarm went off right now? Yes, I appreciate your murmurs, thank you very much. I have intuited from your murmurings that what you meant to say, or you, what you probably were saying, was we'll leave, most of, we'll leave our stuff here and we're going to stand up nice and calm and we're going to head to a fire exit and we're going to get outside and we'll wait for the all clear before we come back in. Am I getting some warm bodies? Yeah? Are we going to panic? No. Are we going to be calm? Yeah. Are we going to ignore it? No. Are we going to take action? Yeah, thank you. Excellent. Amen. Hallelujah. Interpret that as you will. Um, Rachel and I were in a situation once where we witnessed a, a house fire. And in a, in a way, the, the, the alarm was raised, uh, not by a siren or by us hearing some ringing bell, but just by a, a, awareness of the noise of, of people gathering to try and help. And so we were not first on the scene by a long shot. There were probably already like 30, 30 people trying to help, trying to do something. And it became clear that uh, you know, people are not going to get out of this house unless they have assistance. Um, I won't go into details right now. That's quite dramatic, isn't it? What was so impressive is you know, everyone cares who's rallied. We want to do something. 
We want to help, but we're probably getting in each other's way uh, and, and not helping brilliantly well. And then the fire service arrive. And you just you can tell these guys are, are totally strong, but, but their strength is used with just an impressive self-control. So I know if he, if he was the chief uh, or what, what rank he had, fully suited, obviously, just comes around to the back of the house. He's literally walking like this, looks up, surveys the scene, goes back to the fire truck. Okay, lads, I think we need the big ladder for this one. All right. And at no point are they rushing. At no point are they in a frenzy. They know what they're doing. They take action and they rescue people. Like muscle with mercy. There we are. Title for the sermon already. Muscle and mercy. They took... Everyone was fine because they did a great job. Thank you, Rachel. Um, Jude's letter is like an alarm bell. It's short, it's sharp, it's, it's like a, a ringing bell. He wants to get our attention. He's going to do that in a variety of ways. Not to cause panic and alarm, kind of Christian frenzy, but to cause us with a calm attitude to take deliberate action now. Um, so I think we just need to bear that in mind as we're going through. We can find out why he wrote in verse 3. No need to reference any chapter numbers, it's just verse 3. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. So we learn right away that Jude could have indeed wanted to write a completely, well, a different letter. But he felt compelled. This was not the message that we were expecting to bring, but at some point during this week, it kind of became relevant. Well, I think we're going to speak on something different. So you're going to have to wait to get to that next passage in Acts uh, with the church in Antioch, because I think we need to look at this call that Jude is making. A call to real action, to contend for the faith, to do something. Not just to reflect and ponder, but to exert deliberate effort. And uh, to demonstrate what contending is, uh, Sam is going to come and help me. And just at the front, not on the podium this week, but just at the front, uh, Sam and I are going to have a two-man rugby scrum. Are you ready, Sam? Now, you might think this looks like a mismatch, I assure you. He's quite good, okay? So the point of a rugby scrum is you've got two people pushing in different directions to contend for the ball. Both, I want, my team wants the ball and Sam's team wants the ball. Are you ready, Sam? You're gonna come on this side? Okay, touch, crouch, engage, take the strain. Now give it a good old push. Yeah, bit more, bit more, okay. So you've got it. You can cheer if you want. Gods! Oh. Right, there we go. <laughs> that is contending. Now, there's a few aspects of that illustration I'd like to draw your attention to. Sam was my opponent, and I was his. I'm not trying to hurt him. 
Now, this might happen in every scrum, so it's not ideal. I'm not trying to hurt him. He's not trying to hurt me. I'm not trying to kill him. He's not trying to kill me. We are contending for the ball. Now, what we are contending for is not the ball, is the faith. That's talking about the content of the good news that's in Jesus, the content of the gospel. It's not talking about kind of my faith, my act of trusting in God. Jude is saying, you've got to contend for the gospel. And we find out a little bit why. Verse 4 tells us, why do we need to do that? Why is Jude raising the alarm? What's going on? That means there's something to contend for. But he says, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So this is Jude writing. He's a half-brother of Jesus. In other words, he is offspring of Joseph and Mary. So he grew up with Jesus. Note his humility, he doesn't spell that out. He just describes himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. So right from the earliest days of the church, for 2,000 years, there has been a necessary contending. This is the word of God inspired for every generation of Christians seeking to build the church um, in whatever situation we are or find ourselves. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. Note Jude is saying that's already happened. It's not preparing for another day. He's saying it's happened already. So we are to understand there are people who've, who've come into the community secretly. Um, but that, that could be um, rendered in a variety of ways. If you went to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 4, you see Paul writing something uh, similar there. He said, this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. To, to infiltrate, to intrude, to secretly slip in, and you could say to invade. And what they have done in so doing is pervert the grace of God into something else. So if I, I'm going to try this with a, a well-known, I don't know if it is actually that well-known, I hope you know it, otherwise this won't work. Um, the hymn, To God Be the Glory. I know not everyone will know To God Be the Glory, but just a little show of hands. To God Be the Glory. Okay, so if I sing a line, I think this, this part, it's part of me summing up the grace of God. If I sing kind of half of a line, I'm just wondering if I'm going to get the other half of the line coming back. Okay? <clears throat> this is more embarrassing for me than to you, so just go for it. The vilest offender who truly believes Break the Lord, praise the Lord Praise the Lord We're not going to sing all of it by the way, but keep going for a little bit longer People rejoice Come to the Father Through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he has done. Thank you. 
well done, everybody. Did you get that line? This, this is a beautiful summing up of why we celebrate the grace of God. The vilest, the worst, offender, lawbreaker, rebel, who believes in Jesus and his death and his resurrection, that moment a pardon receives. Just ponder that for a moment. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, by virtue of his death on the cross and his resurrection from the tomb, means that the vilest offence can be forgiven when someone truly believes the gospel. It might be a bit grim to kind of just conjure up what, what is the vilest. There'd be a few contenders. The vilest offender who truly... That is the message of the grace of God that is available. We can be forgiven and united to Christ by believing in his death and resurrection. That moment before we've had the chance to do lots of good works, before we've had the chance to turn over several new leaves, leaves, before we maybe even had a chance to make amends elsewhere with people that we may have offended, and that moment someone believes in Jesus, the grace of God means completely, once and for all time, forgiven of every sin. And if you imagine that sin is like a stain on the clothes, every stain totally cleansed. That is what Jude is saying, contend for. But it's as though those who've come and slipped in, they've come with such a different message, it's got twisted more into the vilest offender who truly believes can receive a pardon and go on offending, continue in sin. And we know from lots of parts of the New Testament, this is what happened. People misquoted Paul. Let's go on sinning so that grace may abound. As some people shamelessly say, that's what we teach. It gets twisted into kind of sin doesn't matter anymore. There's, there's really no such thing as, as immorality. You've got to understand that God has kind of relaxed all of the standards and that means not only can you come into the kingdom, it need make no difference on the way that you live. Do as you please, live as you want. Now, if you're just tuning back into the message, I'm now describing the distortion of the truth. That hymn gave us the gospel, celebrating grace. What I'm now talking about is this kind of hyper-grace that it gets twisted into. And when you deal with hyper-grace, what happens first of all is sin is shrunk down to something manageable, quite small. Maybe there are fewer things that would be described now as sin. In the old days, you know, times have changed and so on. So we understand that all these things that were counted as sin no longer are. Sin's quite small. And if, you get, if, if, if the problem of sin becomes small, we end up with a very small saviour and a very small gospel. And probably as a result, what we end up with is a very small church. Why come to Jesus if he's not saving you from something? Why come to Jesus if sin isn't a big deal that needs dealing with. 
So what grabbed my attention this week? I'll give you a couple of things, and then we'll eventually get to the three points. They might be quite quick. What got to my attention this week was that leaders of Anglican churches, some leaders of Anglican churches across the globe, no longer recognise Justin Welby as the head of the global Anglican communion. In response to their general synod decision to allow clergy to bless couples in same-sex marriages, the Global South Fellowship of Anglican Churches, which claims to speak for 75% of Anglicans worldwide, said that the Church of England had departed from the historic faith. And I agree. And disqualified itself as the mother church of the Anglican communion. My attention was also grabbed by the example of, is it Kate or Katie? Kate Forbes, the Scottish Finance Secretary who is campaigning to become First Minister of the Scottish Parliament, has very clearly uh, stated that she believes that sex is for marriage between a man and a woman, and that children, ideally, should be born in wedlock. Now, it won't surprise you to know that she's taking a huge amount of heat for that stance. But I would say I agree with Kate. And she is believing what Christians have believed for thousands of years. And it will probably cost her in terms of career progression. So let's bear that in mind. Now, I'm not having a go at the Church of England. That's not my, my purpose. I was, I was raised by a family in the Church of England. I heard the gospel at a youth camp run by the Church of England. Uh, I was, my, my faith was nurtured there. Um, so I think I want to stand with Anglican brothers and sisters who are now trying to work out what on earth do we do? And I'm not having a go at same-sex attracted people, people who would identify as being gay or lesbian, or wouldn't identify in those terms, but no, that is a, uh, um, their inclination. I'd like us to stand with brothers and sisters who are same-sex attracted to help them faithfully live for Jesus and promote the gospel in this community. And if we don't sometimes step aside from establishing established preaching series, we, we might never touch on this kind of stuff, so we just need to. So contending is important. And we're not just contending for a tradition. We're not just contending for a denomination. We're not just kind of contending for an interpretation. We're not contending for a personal preference. We are contending for the faith. And I think that's pretty important. Now the question then comes, how do we contend? And I think once Jude has established what he's talking about, he, get, he answers that question from verse 17, which is why we went there. And we, we're just going to go through these things. 
We're going to talk about memory. We're going to talk about muscle. And we're going to talk about mercy. We're going to talk about our responsibility towards the apostles, our response to the apostles. We're going to talk about our response and our way of thinking towards ourselves. And we're going to talk about others. And where it starts is with point one. Jude says in verse 17, but dear friends, and what he's saying there is, dear beloved. This is a letter that is saturated with the love of God. He's talking to a community of love and he's saying, look, people who love God and people who know, know you're loved by God and who, who love each other, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. Christians will get into bother when we forget, when we overlook, when we think of ourselves as moving away from or moving on from the apostles. Remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. And maybe he's just spelling out to make this point. They weren't self-appointed men who decided on a wave of enthusiasm to attempt to lead. They were men that Jesus had chosen to lay a foundation for the church for the rest of history. And by an unusual method, Jesus did that for the Apostle Paul as well. He appeared, the resurrected, risen Jesus appeared to Paul and called him to be an apostle. And what we find out here, Jude reminds us, they said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Let me just take a couple of moments to show you where the apostles said things like this. Okay, we could turn to uh, 2 Peter, which Jude could actually be quoting, possibly. 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 3. Note the similarities. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. We could turn also uh, to, let's go to 2 Timothy, chapter 3, and verse 1 to 5. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited. Key phrase here, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. The Bible speaks in clear terms, helping us to see what was to come. Jesus himself. We have the mystery that Jesus prayed for the church to be united, didn't he? John chapter 12. He also predicted that wol wolves dressed up in sheep's clothing would come in. He did both. And so sometimes in today's day and age, there is this call to remember unity 
what unites us is more significant than what divides. That gets emphasized at particular points. It's quite rare to hear it said, actually there are wolves stepping in, dressed up in sheep's clothing, pretending to teach the gospel, but actually leading people away from it. And what all we're to do at this point is to remember, activate your memory with the help of the word of God to see what's happening now, in a way, is not desperately unusual. This is what the Lord Jesus and his apostles have prepared the church for over for thousands of years. This is what happens. We have an enemy who will try to uh, distort the grace of God. Here, Jude tells us, into a license for immorality. You can do as you please. You decide what's right for you. And almost like God is obliged to believe in you. No, no, the message is that we believe in him and we follow him. Not that God believes in us and starts following us. The call is to follow him. So let's not be uh, surprised. And by not being surprised, because we're remembering what the apostles said, let's remember. If you hear the alarm bells, and sometimes you do feel like panicking, remember this. Jesus said it would happen. The apostles said it would happen. And for thousands of years, Jesus has been building his church. That's what he's about right now. And that's what we can be a part of. Remember, secondly, verse 20, but you, dear friends, beloved, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. What is our next action? What is our next responsibility? It's actually towards ourselves. We'll look at the third one in a minute. What is Jude charging us to do? Sum this up as keep yourselves in the love of God. Which is fascinating. Because if you look at the beginning of the letter and the very end of the letter, we're kind of told that Jesus keeps us. And will keep us. And he can keep us from stumbling. He is doing his part, as it were. His almighty sovereign arms gathered round his people. I'm keeping you. I'm going to hold you safe. Whatever happens, trust in me. I've got you. Thank you, Lord. It's a very reassuring letter. With this responsibility on us to keep ourselves in God's love. Maybe that's another reminder. Remember the love of God. Remember what God has done in Christ to reveal and demonstrate his love for you. Remember that moment when you first realized and you first received the pardon from the Almighty. Remember what God has done. Remember his love. And there are moments when perhaps you will really feel it. You kind of keep yourself in that place where you feel really loved. You know it. But we're not just talking about a feeling. And we're not just saying... We're not just going to switch this round and push it back on God. Thank you, Lord God. I heard the message today. Lord, keep me in your love. No, he's, he's already doing that. He's promised that. And he's going to do it forever. There is a responsibility that's on us. doesn't mean that God's not at work. It means we have a deliberate action. Calmly respond to this bell that's ringing. Keep yourselves. Now, he'll describe it. He'll explain it in a number of ways. 
That's the chief command, keep yourself in God's love. How, how do I do that? There are three points within three points all the way through this letter. Well, by, by doing it, build yourself up in your most holy faith. Now, we could have a massive discussion about what that might mean for you, what it might mean for me. We can, we can share what that involves. There might be different things that work for you than me, but it's going to involve the Word of God. It's going to involve getting into His presence personally. I think building ourselves up in our most holy faith is going to involve sharing. I, I think there's a limit on how much we can build ourselves up in the faith without talking about the faith that we have. And not just amongst ourselves in moments like this. One of the things I think that profoundly builds up God's people is when they go evangelize. And when they start sharing their faith. Build yourselves up. The way to contend. You see it demonstrated all the way through the six nations. You, you don't put little weedy guys in the scrum. Build yourselves up. On, put on some muscle. That's talking about a spiritual exercise. I don't, I don't kind of care how big your biceps are. This is about spiritual muscle, being deliberate. I want to keep myself strong in the Lord. How do we keep ourselves in God's love? Praying in the Holy Spirit. So whatever it involves to keep ourselves in the love of God, whatever it involves to take hold of what Jude is saying to us, it will involve us praying. It will involve us coming before, not just with the shopping list of things I'm worried about, but coming to God's word and having God's word shape how I pray. And sometimes it's just little, a little audit is helpful. And again, little tips and tricks, they're not the be all and end all. But the Lord might just be nudging you Take a little audit of your prayer life and think, well, what should I do the same this week and what should I do differently? What am I praying about? Who am I praying for? What scripture is encouraging me to pray? Because prayer can just get sucked into anxiety because I've got to go through the list of things that worry me. Go through the Lord's Prayer. Don't go through your list of anxieties. Go through the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It sets a completely different tone. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Now, I do need some daily bread. And I need you to forgive me. And I know that you won't lead me into temptation. So go, go through the Lord's Prayer. Trust that the Lord will and wants to meet with you in the place of prayer when the door is closed or when you go for a walk or when you get together with other believers. It should not be unusual to say, shall we just pray about that? You're not being super spiritual. You're being Christian. Praying in the Spirit is talking about just having a rich and varied prayer life. But within that, I would just love to drop in. This isn't the only thing that Jude is talking about. I don't want to get, get you weirded out if you don't have this gift. But the gift of tongues is a gift from the Holy Spirit to help us to build ourselves up in our most holy faith as we give God glory. So if you don't have that gift, you can ask for it. And we'd love to pray for you. If you do have that gift, get it out from your back pocket and use it. Pray in tongues. Maybe you'll even then find yourself, when it is just you and the door is closed, praying in tongues and then kind of bringing your own interpretation. I think this is what I'm saying to you, God, in prayer, in praise. Build yourselves up. 
as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. We keep ourselves in God's love, not just as we look back and remember, but as we look forward in anticipation to the return of Jesus. And that should have us excited. Sometimes that has us just longing and yearning for a day when sin is completely removed. And all shadows of uncertainty just disperse. We are a people looking forward to the revelation of Jesus Christ. And what are we waiting for? This is really important. We're waiting for mercy. But when that day comes, and you or I were stood before the throne of God on the day of judgment, what are we waiting for? We're waiting for him to stretch out and say, mercy. Mercy. Which goes to show the sort of community that we're to be. To talk about this stuff, to talk about sexual immorality, to talk about what marriage is and isn't, to talk about where sex should be and where it shouldn't be, doesn't make anybody superior, smug, holier than thou. It means we all know that we all need God's mercy. We all know that we've all messed up. We all know we've sinned sexually. Maybe with our bodies, maybe with our minds, maybe with our mouths, what we've said. Maybe in our hearts and our desires. We all, every believer in Jesus, the beloved, know and keep themselves strong as they remember, I will need mercy on that day. But in Jesus, I will receive mercy on that day. It's not smug. We're not about building a community of respectable smugness. We're about building a people who are keeping themselves in the love of God. Thirdly, the action to take from Jude is not just to remember the mercy that we need, but by remembering that mercy, we are a community of people showing that mercy. And here is how Jude puts it. Be merciful to those who doubt. Not all of you are convinced by what I've said this morning. Maybe. Maybe not all of you are convinced that there's a problem in the Anglican church. Or actually, let's just say the church. Maybe not all of you are convinced that Kate Forbes did the right thing. Be merciful to those who doubt. This may not be the only occasion to try and speak into this. But by building ourselves up, keeping ourselves in the love of God, is to come to a place where we're not doubting things so much, that we've arrived at some clarity. And a decent, well-rounded view of the love of God that isn't too narrow or lazily defined. Save others by snatching them from the fire. If you're doubting the gospel, you'll stop trying to snatch others from the fire. Who am I, who am I to say what someone's sexual ethic could be, should be? 
I mean, who am I to say how someone else should live their life? I, I, I don't want the backlash. I don't, want, I don't want to take the heat. I'm not quite sure. What counts now is sexual immorality and what doesn't? If you've got doubts, then you're not going to try saving anybody else. And that's a situation we might need to recognize, but we need to grow to avoid. Snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear. Hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. These verses are a great example of loving the sinner and hating the sin. The distortion of grace means that all you could possibly say is that you affirm someone and every single choice and decision that they make in their lives. The truth is way more nuanced. It involves love, it involves mercy, it involves accepting, but it doesn't involve affirming everything, and it can't. Doubting, uncertain Christians are playing with fire. We play with fire if we compromise on the truth and the message that sexual intimacy belongs only in a covenant relationship between a man and a woman. Now the challenge of that position doesn't just go to the same sex attracted, by the way. It's a family show, don't worry. But in preaching now, I'm telling you what I hope will be happening in this church forever. Well, for as long as it exists, okay? Here are the sorts of things I want to rescue you from, or here's the sorts of things I want other people to be clear enough that they'll rescue you from, if at all relevant. So to the married, I say, you cannot use pornography. I mean, that's not just to the married, by the way. That would be a bit weird, wouldn't it? That is sex outside of marriage and is sin. Lustfully looking or thinking about anybody who you are not married to is a sin. Finding any sexual satisfaction without your spouse is a sin. Reading books that are there to kind of encourage fantasy in this whole area should just be burned. Using sex as a weapon by demanding it, losing your temper if it doesn't happen, by belittling or demeaning is sin. Withdrawing from your spouse sexually can be sinful. And there's lots of nuance here that I'm not getting into. I'm getting into just big, whatever that means. We need to be a community of considerate husbands and respectful wives. And I'm telling you, if you're married, don't prune your sexual sin. Destroy it. What happens if you prune something? Jesus says, you know, about pruning, doesn't he? 
I'm pruning you because it will come back and it will be even more fruitful. Don't prune any sin. Because of the gospel, it needs destroying utterly and completely. Now, now get me. I want us to be a community that helps each other to do this, by the way. Not that just goes, what? If someone ever kind of opens up or asks for help or asks for prayer. But that's the kind of community that we need to be. Those who are single. If you are seeking or cultivating a romantic relationship with someone who's not a believer in Jesus, you are playing with fire. And many people can get burned. It is hard. There are pressures. But be part of a community that can help you. Remember, all of us, that sex is not essential for human flourishing. If you don't believe me, you need to search the scriptures and ponder why you don't believe me. So, for example, let me just turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to wrap up, but maybe not just for a couple of minutes. Ah. Um, It's too important. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. This is true. Paul is telling the truth, and this is good news. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that gift. So we can say, along with Paul, marriage is a gift, and singleness is a gift. And Paul is even saying, I wish that you were like me, single. And we've got to make sense of that. Let me just, for your sake, let me just quote another verse, because this never gets mentioned at weddings. And this rarely gets mentioned on the subject of marriage. But since we've opened up this can, come on, let's keep going. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 still, and verse 28. Look at this for a reassurance. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. That's God's word. God wants fruitful, godly people who are married. And he wants fruitly, <laughs> fruitful... Godly people who are single. And half of us who are married won't be in the future at some point. Because a spouse will pass away. So we cannot say that sex is essential for human flourishing. The sexual revolution wants us to believe that. That's the message of every advert. That's the message of every film that comes out of Hollywood. That's the message of ludicrous numbers of books and pretty much everything you might hear on this subject keep yourselves in the love of God that's what you need that's what we need that's what we have strengthen yourselves in God and be part of a community like this rather than have one relationship with one other person that's overloaded with too much expectation as if that's the thing that's going to fulfill me All the married people know that marriage can be hard. They just don't tell you that very often. Okay? 
And if you are same-sex attracted, I want you to be part of this church. I want you to help us all together follow God. I don't want any of us to be pruning our sin. We need to be a community that destroys it and is confident to speak to a world that disagrees. The rugby scrum. Sam was pushing against me. No one playing rugby has kind of come up with this amazing tactic. I know what, lads. During the scrum, let's not push at all, and that will help our game plan. No, for all the subtlety of rugby tactics out there, no one plays rugby like that. If someone's pushing in the scrum, that's your cue, that's my cue, that's our cue to push back the other way. Are we going to do that? Let's help each other do that. Let's be this kind of church. Let's take Jude's message seriously. And uh, forgive me, I think we'll just finish with a prayer. Let's be a people who then aren't just getting really angsty, gnarled, frenzied and panicked and scared. Look how Jude finishes. Okay, this is our final song. I might not set this to music. You can worship God more this evening at the prayer meeting by singing. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Let your name be lifted on high, Lord Jesus. We want to sing that your love endures forever. The message of the gospel is about your wonderful, enduring love. Help us, Lord, not dilute your love to something weak and pathetic and lazy, but to strengthen our knowledge of your wonderful love. Now, I pray, Lord, this week for us. I pray, Lord, for those who hear the alarm and who love Jesus and have already received his mercy. Help us to strengthen ourselves in the love of God. Father, I pray, where we are confronted by our own weakness, maybe health, energy, a lack of sleep, just challenges in life, and it can just sound like doing another thing, oh my goodness. Before now, my aim was just making it through the week. Now I'm supposed to build myself up. When am I going to get the time? Heavenly Father, I pray for the encouragement of the Scripture to be the new bell that's ringing, chiming, for prayer, that it's not some grindstone, it's a reminder, it's an encouragement. You're, you're missing out, you're missing out, come and have life, come and receive him, draw near to the one again who loves you with the indelible and eternal love, draw near to him, draw near to him, he's with you, he's for you.